Let me tell you all what that um, video didn't show. That was the lowest point in my life. I was at the end of the line. I felt like the fire inside me was all but extinguished. And don't get me wrong. From the outside, it appeared that I had everything. Big house, cars, money, fame, notoriety. I was at the top of my game professionally. Not only was I part of a highly rated morning radio show, but I was the center of a thriving wedding business, not to mention a popular nightclub act. It all seems like a dream come true, doesn't it? And as I stand here today, I can tell you, as cool as that all sounds, I was dying inside. Now imagine your life as a pile of charcoal, and you put that stinky wizard lighter fluid on it, and you just drench it, and then you reach in your pocket, and then there's no more match. No matter how much fuel you put on there, there's no spark, no fire. That was a very dark time for me. So dark that I had decided to end my torment. Now, I'm going to give you some insight into what that looked like for me. Despite all my worldly belongings and professional accolades, my marriage was at the brink of ending. My relationship with my kids was almost non-existent, and I had fallen prey to my addictions. I lost all hope, and I decided, I came to that decision that I was going to end my life. As I sat in my living room in the dark, while my wife and daughter were upstairs sleeping, I decided that this is my opportunity. I heard this voice in my head saying, go ahead, they won't care. They'll be better off anyway. You'll end your pain and theirs. They'll all be better off without you. So I sat there ready to pull the trigger. Then I heard the sound of a key in the front door. And as the door opened, I saw that it was my son. He was coming home. He was coming home from his shift at work. And he didn't see me. He didn't see me sitting in the dark. And as he made his way upstairs, I heard that same voice say, see, you're so gutless. Your son got to save you. That was the darkest time of my life. And in my despair, I was wallowing in that darkness. I was ready to end it. But then, something happened. I was literally like a dying flame. But Jesus reached out to me with his outstretched hand, and all I had to do was put my hand in his. And when I did, he started leading me on an awesome journey. I started experiencing restoration in my marriage, in my relationships with my kids, restoration at work. Jesus ignited a fire in my spirit that I felt had been snuffed out a long time ago. It's like a campfire that's just starting to go out. The coals are all gray and ashy. But what happens when you blow on them? They start to glow and then eventually flame bursts out. That night on my kitchen floor, I literally heard the tiniest, sweetest voice tell me, Son, it's going to be all right. Four years later, I'm standing here sharing my testimony with you. And I want to say, family, here and now, that God has a purpose for you. Sometimes it takes God 
lighting our faith on fire. God has a purpose and calling for each and every one of you. God's purpose and calling for me is to be a man whose faith is on fire. This morning, I want to welcome you to Christ Centered Community Church. And as Pastor Jared introduced, I'm Greg Hammer. And I'm going to take you back for a moment and tell you a little bit about myself. Like most people, I was born. As you can see by the picture, I was born, not hatched. My ethnic background is Filipino-Caucasian, so Mexican, <laughs> as you can tell by the clothing. I was raised in Waipahu, like most Filipinos, and we had a stereotypical Filipino Catholic upbringing. My grandparents emigrated from the Philippines, and they were um, sugar and, and pineapple workers. They had 12 kids because the TV hadn't been invented yet. And they helped my single mom raise me along with my two older sisters. Now, I got to tell you, family, we were poor. I mean, like, poor. We couldn't even afford the OR. We were just poor. You know, some people say, like, we're poor, but we never knew it. Trust me, we knew. I had to wear my cousin's hand-me-downs, and it was kind of embarrassing because she wasn't my size. (laughs) But anyway, we grew up in a humble Catholic household. And if you were around in, like, the late 60s and early 70s, you know what that means? We were Shiite Catholics. We were in church a lot. Now, you got to kind of understand that back then, there was only one church in Waipahu, St. Joseph. And it's not an exa- exaggeration that it was like literally the only church. I mean, even Buddhists would go there. I was raised in a traditional Catholic faith with catechism, confession, bake sales, um, pancake breakfast fundraisers, the whole nine yards. And although as a kid I knew about God, I never had a relationship with him. How many of us can identify with that? See, there was a Bible in our house that was kept on an altar, and my grandparents would pray the rosary every night and I think twice on Sundays. But we kids, we never read the Bible. We're never exposed to God's word except in church on Sunday morning. Now, looking back, I kind of felt like God was like the genie from the movie Aladdin. But if I wanted something, or if I got in trouble, or if I needed something, I would pray, and I hope that God would answer my prayer. And as far as church was concerned, it was really nothing but a weekly meeting to empty my sin bucket. So I guess you could say that my faith was lukewarm at best. Now, when I was six, my mom married my stepdad, and our family was complete. Still, we didn't have much, but we learned to be resourceful and frugal. I graduated from Waipaho High School, the Punahou of the West, in 1983. And in 1987, at the age of 22, I became a member of the Honolulu Police Department. I spent 10 years in full-time active police duty, during which time I got married and had two sons. Um, Then in 1997, I left active police service to pursue a career in broadcasting and entertainment. Now, as an entertainer, I was lucky to have a career that provided for my family. Now, let's focus for a minute on the word that I chose to use here, lucky. Because the truth is, in my life, there was an absence of faith in God. So in essence, I wasn't blessed because without God, there's no blessing. I had um, that, I don't need anybody. I can do this on my own attitude. Some of you can identify with that attitude. Now, at the time, I didn't realize it, but there was a cost to being in the limelight. My first marriage failed, as did my second marriage. Again, no God. No blessing. See, I was so 
caught up in the race for money and possessions that I never took into consideration the effect that my absence would have on my personal relationship with my family, especially my young sons, and they started to suffer. How many of us here today can identify with being so busy that you have no time for your family? In 1999, I met my wife, Shawnee. We worked at the same radio group, and soon we started working on the same morning show. And eventually, we got married, and we had a daughter. Our daughter, Zoe, was born in 2003. And then soon after that, my sons came to live with us. The added responsibility made me feel like I really needed to go above and beyond to provide for my family a socially acceptable worldview lifestyle. I worked hard, and I worked often, and I was rarely home as you can see in this picture, I'm not in it because I was working. My priorities were like this, money, job, then family. And notice from that statement, God wasn't even part of the equation again. And if that's not bad enough, family was last on the list. I was so busy chasing what society deems important that I didn't have time or didn't make time for God. And as I look back, there was no real happiness or fulfillment in my life. No God meant no fulfillment, no joy. That's where I started wearing, you know, that mask, that smile at everybody and be nice and, you know, and, and, and be, be a great guy to everybody, but you're, you're hurting inside. And if we're being honest, we all wear that mask from time to time, don't we? Some of us might be wearing it right now might even be the person sitting next to you. You know, we spend so much time pretending that everything's all good, but inside, inside, we're slowly dying. You know, in my nightclub act, I used to say, my breath stinks because I'm dead inside. It was kind of funny, but as I look back, there was a lot of truth to it. Now, about this time, we had money. We had a lot of nice things. Big house, the family was under one roof. If the kids wanted something, I was right there with money in hand. But still, there was something missing. I tried to find happiness in being busy, toiling. Some of us here today might be able to identify with that feeling, or you know somebody who is. It got to the point that I was trying to find happiness in possessions, fancy cars, cool motorcycles, chasing that kind of happiness, the kind that has a big price tag. And if I'm being honest, it did provide temporary happiness and fun, but then I found my debt rising, and that made me unhappy. Now, imagine going to buy gas for your fancy car, but you don't have money to pay for it. My marriage was dying, my relationship with my kids was dying, and I was dying inside. That fire that was inside me was quickly becoming a pile of burnt-up ash. Now, family... When you're at that point, when you're literally at the end of your rope, I can tell you from experience, people see you. Your kids see you. Your spouse sees you. You try to hide it, but they know. You can pretend all you want, but the fact is they see you destroying yourself. You know that feeling? If you don't, you probably know someone that's going through that right now. That feeling for me led me to crying out to Jesus on my kitchen floor, as you saw. That's when I encountered Jesus in a real and tangible way. It was like he took that almost extinguished coal and blew on it. 
and slowly it started to glow brighter and brighter until the flame got stronger and hotter. Now, I don't want to give you the impression that um, it was instantaneous because while salvation can be instantaneous, transformation is a process. Turn to your neighbor and say, transformation is a process. Husbands, turn to your wife and say, don't expect much. It's a process. Now, you might be wondering, how can I do it? How can I reignite the fire of my faith? Or if you've never experienced the joy that can only come from a true relationship with Jesus, you might be asking yourself, how can I get some of this faith fire? Well, last week we learned uh, about the differences in how society defines success with regard to raising our kids. But what we're going to do today is turn that around and figure out how we can lead our kids on the right path by being an example. So we're going to attempt to change our perspective just a little bit by turning what Pastor Fernando taught us last week inward and looking at the difference between what culture says we, on behalf of our children, should strive for and what the Lord says we should strive for. Because as a community, we need to set an example for our younger generation. Because even if you don't have kids of your own, you're probably an uncle, an auntie, a Hanai mom or Hanai dad, or at the least a community leader of some kind. So it's important to define what success is as a follower of Christ and what success is not. Now, if you're following along in your notes, this is what culture says success is. And take a look at your screen. Read along with me. Culture says success is raising well-rounded, well-educated, happy kids. That sounds like something you hear on Dr. Phil, right? Um, hey, man, we need to learn and uh, strive to raise well-rounded, well-educated, happy kids. But now let's, let's examine the first part of that, well-rounded. Historically, the most successful people are not well-rounded, but they're very successful at a narrow set of gifts. Now in sports, LeBron James is a good example. He's undoubtedly considered the greatest basketball player of his generation. Narrow skill set. Dribble, shoot, dunk. Dribble, shoot, dunk. Put the ball in the basket. Look good doing it. Narrow skill set. Now, in your job, you may have to do several things, but you are probably hired for one primary task. Narrow skill set. Now, the second part, well-educated. Now, if we're being honest, well-educated is an awesome goal, but if you're class valedictorian and you get accepted to Harvard and you get your Ph.D. in biophysics, it's really impressive, but did you know that God looks at your heart more than your resume? All that knowledge is considered far more successful with the presence of integrity and character. Because if you have that prestigious education, but you have no integrity or character, then unfortunately, you're not successful at what matters most. Now, King Solomon was a good example of this. Let me set the scene for you. Um, God appeared to Solomon in a dream and promised him anything he asked. Solomon chose understanding and discernment, wisdom. Now, when I read this, I thought, man, that's an awesome gift to ask for. I mean, honestly, if God appeared to you in a dream, what would you ask for? At the moment, I'd ask for a venti mocha from Starbucks, but Solomon asked for wisdom. And God was so pleased with that request that he granted it, along with great riches and power. Now, Solomon was a great writer, poet, scientist. His skills in architecture turned Israel into the showplace of the biblical Middle East. He made treaties and alliances that brought peace to his kingdom. He united Israel, basically. But 
The peace that a united Israel enjoyed, the massive building projects that he headed, and the successful commerce that he developed became meaningless when Solomon stopped pursuing God. Solomon also made some choices that lured him away from God. It's been said, integrity without knowledge is weak and useless, and knowledge without integrity is dangerous and dreadful. When we lose our integrity, we pretty much lose everything. In my own life, I know how it feels to lose your integrity. Do you? Finally, brings us to happy. Now, last week, Pastor Fernando pointed out that so many times in society, we bow down and worship at the altar of happiness. We hear and we say this a lot. I just want to be happy. I just want to be happy. If I have the big house, I'm going to be happy. If I get the Louis Vuitton bag, I'm going to be happy. If I get the Escalade, I'm going to be happy. I hate to break the news to your family, but God didn't call us to be happy. God called us to be holy. First Peter says it like this. Be holy as I am holy. But now, the holiness that's talked about in First Peter, it doesn't mean to be pious or, as we say in Waipahu, religiously tantaran. It means to belong to God. It means much more than just to believe in God. It means to be united in Jesus in and through the Holy Spirit. Happiness, joy, contentment, they're all fruits of a life lived for the honor and glory of God. So let's be less concerned about today's happiness and focus on keeping our faith fire burning. You know, Matthew 16, 26 says, and read it with me, it's on the screen. Ready? Go. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Like I mentioned, King Solomon turned to worldly pleasures instead of focusing on the pursuit of God. He accumulated thousands of horses and chariots. After securing peace with his neighbors, he built up trade and became the wealthiest king of his time. He amassed treasures and surrounded himself with luxury. To put it into today's perspective, King Solomon was so rich, if he read a check, then the bank bounced. But King Solomon let his lust rule his heart instead of obedience to God. He taxed his subjects heavily, drove them into slave-like labor for his building projects. King Solomon's sins speak loudly to us in today's materialistic culture. See, when we worship possessions and fame over God, we're headed for a fall. That's what happened to Solomon. He turned away from God, and the results were disastrous. I lived that life, and I experienced a similar fall. I lived a life that gained so many worldly things, fancy cars, motorcycles, big house, fame. But in all honesty, it never made me truly happy. And I mean, I mean the kind of um, heartfelt inner happiness that God calls us to experience. So how do we ignite our faith fire? Well, let's take a look at our notes. We do it by becoming what God calls us to be. And by example, we need to raise and unleash Christ-centered, biblically anchored world changers. But how do we do that? Proverbs 13.20 says it this way, and uh, read along with me. Ready? Go. Walk with the wise and become wise, for a companion of fools suffers harm. So, very simply, surround yourself with wise people. What do you become? You become wise. I've run around with a bunch of fools. What happens? This. You audition for a spot in the iconic 80s boy band, Menudo. Everybody has a past family. But seriously, Scripture tells us that we suffer harm because what we're exposed to determines what 
and who we become. And this is true at any age, whether you're young or old or uh, any phase or season in your life. Now, when I was in the company of unwise people as a kid, I suffered harm, bad grades, horrible attitude toward authority, disrespect toward my parents. And as an adult, when I was in the company of unwise people, I suffered harm, broken marriage, damaged relationships, mounting debt. But by contrast, when I started walking with the wise, people who are Christ-centered, biblically anchored, I found myself experiencing true happiness and joy, restored marriage, restored relationships, occupational redemption, true, real, heartfelt happiness. But now, it's important to understand that as you're going through the Rolodex of unwise people in your life, you have to be intentional and take great care in which of your friends fall into that column. Because if we're called to be Christ-centered, then we need to love one another as Christ loves us. So you should still keep in touch with the people who may not be a good influence and love on them. In all honesty, I have some friends that aren't very wise, but I love them. I pray for them. I care for them. Every now and then I'll text them and I'll say, hey, brother, love you. Real simple. Love you, brother. Of course, if the guy's 6'1", 250, I'll end my text with, love you in a man way, so don't get ideas. One of the most important things we can do to ignite the fire of our faith is, and you'll see it on your screen, embrace the joy of knowing God personally. Now, As I said earlier, when I was a boy, our family knew about God, but we didn't have a relationship with God. And a lot of us can identify with that. So it's important that we kind of rewire our thinking. This is how we rewired the thinking in our family. We began living a life that's Christ-centered by getting involved in church activities. Now, like I said earlier, this is a charcoal example. This piece of charcoal is you, or me, or you. And alone, you're only going to be able to retain a certain amount of heat, a certain amount of brightness, a certain amount of flame. But, and let's pretend, get fire over here, yeah? Because fire codes and stuff, you know, can make real fire. So let's pretend. This is a flaming hot fire of like-minded people. When you're united with them, the chances of your faith fire remaining hot and even growing brighter is better. Now, Shawnee and I started real simple. We started serving here at C4. We got connected in small groups. We started hosting a a marriage uh, marriage group Bible study in our home. We started serving in the baptism ministry. Shawnee attends WOW Women's Bible Study. And you know what? Because our daughter started seeing this, she started pursuing a relationship with Christ. She served in Kids Quest for a season, and she's looking forward to being old enough to become part of the Collide Youth Ministry. So take some time to get involved by participating in a church event or serving in a ministry. I mean, there's a surf ministry you can participate in. There's a a canoe paddling ministry, stand-up paddling ministry. You can serve in hospitality or Collide or Kids Quest. Find out where your desire to serve is and participate and go for it. I guarantee you, when you're around like-minded people, you'll feel your faith fire grow. Now, my sons, they're grown and out of the house, but... They see these changes from afar, and they've taken notice of our example of service. And we try to do things that help them see what a relationship with Jesus produces in our lives. One thing we do is we read God's word every day. Culturally, it's what we do when we want to become biblically anchored people. Like, I read the Bible every day, as does Shawnee, and Zoe does it too. And it's funny, because one time I had to (laughs) to discipline Zoe, and 
I told her, you know, honey, Ephesians 6 says, children, obey your parents. And she looked up at me with those big brown eyes and said, yes, dad, that's true. But it also says, fathers, don't exasperate your children. <laughs> now, I mean, it's all funny, but when you've got a child reading the Bible at a young age and God speaks to them through his word, suddenly they see the value of knowing God through his word. Now, I can see that a lot of us are short of time, but in the digital age, there are apps and Bible downloads that you can read on the go. The C4 app is a great resource, and you can keep up with the daily Bible verses. And another thing that we do is that anytime there's something good, we give God the credit for it in front of the kids. For example, if the mall is crowded and we find a parking spot, we say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for blessing us with this parking spot. Or if the traffic dies down when you're rushing from Diamond Head Theater to here for second service, we go, thank you, Jesus, for bringing us on time. We give God the credit when something good happens. And let's talk about prayer. Kids will benefit when we let them observe us in prayer and when you pray together as a family. Now, for the record, in our house, there's no set prayer time, but we pray consistently and often. We pray before meals, and that includes meals in restaurants. Um, we pray at da my daughter's bedtime. We pray when someone's hurt or sick. Uh, we pray when someone's feelings are hurt. We pray by text. We pray by email. We pray on Facebook. We pray daily, and, when, uh, and we pray whenever we need to. And family, because we pray, when good things happen, we and our kids can connect God to answering our prayers. And I pray a lot for my kids. And I pray that because they see us in prayer, they see us as an example of being Christ-centered. And one day, Jesus will capture their hearts, and they'll become Christ-centered, biblically-anchored world changers. Now, there may be some of you that are saying, yeah, you know what, that's all good, but it's really too late for me. But I'm here to tell you, it's never too late. I thought the same thing, but I can tell you, family, it's never too late to experience transformation through the love of our Heavenly Father. But we need to be honest with ourselves and recognize our own sin and then repent of it. We can try to fool ourselves or others, but we can't hide our sin from God. But here's the good news. God always offers forgiveness for our sins. We can't escape the consequences of our sins, but God highly values our faith in him. Despite life's ups and downs, God is always present to give us comfort and help. And I often think of the legacy that I'm leaving behind, and I hope my children think, oh, Dad, he's not perfect, but he talks to God. He experiences God. God corrects him and convicts him and comforts him, guides him. God empowers and leads him. That's what I want. I want to be like Dad. I want to have a relationship with God. Because it wasn't until I gave all that I am all that I have and all that I will ever be to Christ, rather than just settling for being well-rounded, well-educated, and happy. And then my world and the world around me changed. And when we change, we're going to see that the generation that comes after us becomes a generation that's Christ-centered, biblically anchored, and passionate about changing the world. Now, you remember at the beginning of this message, I said that salvation can happen in an instant, but it's important to remember that transformation is a process. In my life, following Jesus had led to healing in a way that words can't do justice. My marriage is better than ever, and I have a daughter that's on fire for Jesus. How many of us here today want Jesus to set our faith on fire? I mean, can you imagine what your life will be like when you catch that fire and you keep it burning? I'd like to challenge you today 
to participate in a church event or get involved in, in a ministry one day a week outside of attending regular service and watch your faith fire grow brighter and hotter than ever before. So let's all decide today, family, who we're going to serve. The world? Or are we going to serve God? You know, the Bible tells us that when Joshua was a very old man, he summoned all of Israel, the elders, the leaders, the judges, and the officials, and he said to them, and it's on the screen, let's read together, go, serve the Lord alone. But if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. But as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. We can do this. As a family of believers, we can change the world. You know, up until, up until now, as I spoke to you today, I was addressing believers who feel they may be lukewarm in their faith or those who accepted Christ but somehow got caught up in life and your priorities maybe shifted away from God in the pursuit of happiness. But let me briefly speak to you, um, for those of you who are new to Christianity, or maybe you're still wondering if Jesus is really who he says he is, or you've never been baptized by the Holy Spirit and experienced the joy that can only come from a relationship with Jesus. You might be asking yourself, how can I get some of this faith fire? Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but if this is you, I want to extend my personal invitation to you to join me and the teaching ministry of C4 for an exciting new series called Alpha. It's going to be a 10-week course on Wednesday nights where we'll address all of your questions about Jesus and the Holy Spirit. So please watch your bulletins for a launch date coming soon this summer. I want to thank you, and I want to thank the pastoral staff for having me speak to you today. Let's give the honor and glory to God with a clap offering.